Welcome to The Story Thinker, a Webtoons and Witcher podcast for superfans with scene-by-scene analysis. Featuring sharp co-hosts for a fuller picture, we dive deep into character psychology, relationships, and theories. We'd love it if you could like, subscribe, comment, and rate us on all podcast platforms and social media. For bonus content, you can support The Story Thinker on Patreon. Let's begin. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 125 of Purple Hyacinth, Double Date, which the title alone should tell us how exciting it is. And today we have Joy and Ocean and Veronica. Hello. Hello. All right, so starting us off is Veronica, is, uh, sorry, Joy. All right. All right. So... We start off, there's a panel of streetlights and little black thought bubbles. And it's Lauren thinking to herself, February 17th is coming soon. And we have yet to find anything on their plans. Even if the factory arsenal was seized, who knows what else they're hiding. They could be launching their attack tomorrow. And we aren't any more prepared than we were 10 years ago. And by the way, that panel has the has a couple of feet that are walking, Lauren's and Kieran's. And then we see a close up of Lauren's face as she continues her inner monologue. But Flim's tick circus tickets and the messenger's tattoos, then everything would point would be pointing towards Viscount Redcliffe. Is it Viscount or a big count? How are we saying this? Big count. Viscount. It's actually Viscount. Viscount? Viscount? It's French. <laughs> no disrespect to French. <laughs> okay. Whatever. We only get this name once, so. <laughs> this panel. But how can we even approach him to verify without him realizing and ruining our only lead? And at this point, Lauren closes her eyes and starts thinking pensively. Does anyone have any thoughts on this section? Yes, I, I was thinking that the fact that she's giving us this, it's kind of like so giving us, you know, her clues. You know how she does like the murder boards at the beginning of every season? So I felt like a little bit like that. And I wonder if the last sentence that she said means that they're going to try to find someone to get in on, on Redcliffe. Yeah, because we know the ball is coming up, so I'm, I wonder if they're going to, like, hire somebody that they wouldn't really suspect, because I feel like Lauren is pretty noticeable, like, in the police department, and everybody knows her. Not to mention, people know her in the nobility, too, because of both of her uncles. I'm just going to call them both uncles. They're married in my mind, so they're both uncles, um, and uh, because of both of their respective stations, like, combine them all together. You know, it's not like she's super famous, but it's also not like she's unknown. So that makes it a lot harder for her to walk in different circles. She's kind of like William in that way. Yeah. I I was going to say she's like visually very like, she just stands out too with her red hair and her eyes too. Like everything about her just kind of like stands out even personality wise. Like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think she's gonna try to find someone to approach Redcliffe. Personally, I think Kim is the best bet because she's very willing to 
act goofy and do risky things and dress up. I feel like she might try to send Kim to do some reconnaissance on him. Now that you mention it, Kim can totally get a lot out of people. You're so right with that. I think there have been like a couple scenes where it's like she's unexpectedly like thrown everybody off and you find out some interesting information because of that. We're not just talking about the drunken New Year's thing. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. I feel like she's just like very unsuspecting. Like she's just so friendly and bubbly. Like I feel like nobody would suspect her of like doing anything like malicious or anything. Right. <laughs> yeah, she's a good character. I don't know. If I had to kind of think through some people that that might be Approachable to Redcliffe. Some people might be queuing my try to do his own infiltration. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe could Bella and Ornella potentially have some role in it? Because we already know that Bella is very familiar with this with one of the apostles that we sus- that we highly suspect, or at least I do, to be Redcliffe. And but we don't know if Kieran knows the extent of her relationship with him and if if that would come to his mind to suggest her as a mole. Uh, Nira is a little more upper class, but she's already got a lot on her spy plate going on, so I'm not certain <laughs> if she would be in it, but I don't know. At this point, she's like a triple, quadruple spy, so maybe... <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking about Bella too. Um, so pretty much confirmed that Redcliffe is is Apostle Seven in the murder board. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kieran, you know, does know that she was basically raised by him. So that's another thing I was thinking about. Maybe Kieran will call in a favor from Bella, ask some more questions. That would be interesting to see. I don't have any theories either way. I feel like it's almost anyone's game from just my perspective also all of my theories are like after the end of this episode I know my head was spinning so I'm so focused on different things right now (laughs) all right gonna continue okay so after the purple hyacinth logo we see a wide shot of the of Lauren's house and someone standing at the window. And I think it's that same picture that Soph uses anytime she wants to use Lauren's house as a scene setter. <laughs> but anyhow, we get a close up, and this shows Lauren at that window. She is looking out down the street, and she sees Kieran walking away. He apparently walked her home. That's actually kind of sweet. <laughs> Like, they're basically dating already at this point if he's walking her home. So anyhow, um, so Lauren thinks to herself as she's watching, he was quiet doing all the walk home. I've never seen him so uncomfortable before, and he seemed worried. He's been very caring since the factory. We've grown closer. I had sworn to myself that I would keep him out of my life. And then we see a flashback from way back in season one where she 
tells him, I don't want to be mixed up in any of your shady and illegal fan-of-sight business. Investigation related only or count me out. And then she thinks to herself in the present day, but I suppose I let him in. <laughs> yes, we did, Lauren. <laughs> yes, she totally did. It's like, oh my goodness. I keep thinking to myself, they're not really falling in love at this point. They're more like waiting in love because it's happening a little bit at a time and they're just seeing all these little things about each other. Mm-hmm. So anyhow. Oh, I know. I lo- I was um I love it when Lauren has these moments of introspection and where she realizes things because she's had you know, throughout this story we've seen how she started out very, very closed off emotionally and you know, in many ways and pushing people off and not letting people get close to her. But she's really opened up throughout the story and become more vulnerable and become more human and like allow let her walls down, which I love seeing. Yeah, I think and she- I really Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I really love that they added this flashback because I think a lot of the times in Webtoon, I forget how amazing the art is and how they're like developing their skills. I just thought it was like so cool because I've always thought their art is ama- um, was amazing. And it's just like, wow, look how far their art has come. Like, it's so cool to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what were you going to say though? <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Mindy, uh, you kind of reminded me that, um, you know, uh, to add to that also, over the course of the show, we've also seen Lauren kind of open herself up to the concept of, uh, you know, examining her own prejudices, her own biases, her own um, acceptance and uh, needing to engage with the fact that morality is not necessarily always black and white um, as she's always been believing and she made a very gray choice and since then she's seen a lot of gray choices that eventually in her mind are bringing a brighter future forth Um, and I think and it's interesting to see how that's on a macroscopic level and then also on a microscopic level with Karen and I think she's finally kind of sort of understanding like okay this is kind of a I might not just be biased on a big level, you know, I see that some of my biases towards this individual were unfair and not looking at the whole person, mm-hmm. which I think is really, that, that's one of the really compelling elements of this entire story, I really feel, um, when it comes to both of them. I think it's very apparent throughout the story, a lot of us can al- already accept that um, you know, Karen already is not uh, as judgmental of Lauren as Lauren has been of Kieran and has been of just any Phantom Scythe member in general. Um, so it's been, it, these kind of scenes I think are extra rewarding in that, like you say, um, partly because of those, those revelations carry weight now after having been through all that. So it's nice to see her come around. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So, let's see. Yeah, Lauren continues watching from the window. And then she turns away. And she walks up the stairs. And she's thinking, what happened while I was out? I woke up feeling so scared, so vulnerable. 
And then we see kind of a very hazy flashback of, I can't really tell everything really, but I think it's kind of showing how everything just kind of blurred in her mind with, with seeing her younger self and the explosion maybe. And she, and through this hate, she's continuing to think, I was crying and I can't even remember why exactly. It felt, it felt like that day all over again. Like I lost you again. And I think at this point, it's a very close shot of Lauren crying over Dylan's hat. As she I thinks. I what that was. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually had to look at that a few times to figure that out. Anyhow, what exactly? I see the hat and I see your hair and the yellow thing, but I can't. I can't figure out the positioning. <laughs> I was confused with that shot too at first. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was like Karen hugging Lauren. Like I can't even like make out the hat. <laughs> like, <I don't> <laughs> <know>. <laughs> it's like what is it? There's Lauren hair, but what else is there? Yeah, <laughs> is she holding the hat to her chest, like uh, over her face? I can't figure that out. Where's I don't know what I'm looking at. Mystery. Which body part? Is it like her arms, her legs? Yeah. I think that's kind of nice that it's kind of showing us visually maybe what was going on with her mind at the moment. Like, Mm -hmm. since it wasn't really all that clear to us what's going on in this picture, it probably wasn't totally clear to her. Like, it was clear to her emotionally, but as far as, like, nationally figuring out this led to this and I ended up in this position it somehow isn't quite connecting with her I love that little visual effect that's actually a really good point Joy I think there was the one episode that we were talking about and you probably remembers um where you know that episode where in the dream Dylan's saying look at me look at me why won't you look at me And we're talking about how, you know, sometimes when traumatic events happen, um, you know, there is such a thing as repressed memories and sometimes you might miss something um, or something might resurface at uh, different times. But the emotional impressions, again, uh, paralleled again uh, in that particular shot, that's not something I thought of. It's really insightful, Joy. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you. Thank you. So, does anyone else have anything else? Okay. So, she continues thinking, the same anguished, suffocating, hopeless feeling. I haven't felt it so strongly in years. Why now? And then we see her in the upper hallway, and we see little ghosts of young Lauren and young Karen not here and Dylan running through the hallways. You notice that the, we, she's wearing they're wearing the same color dress, like a blue, light blue dress flaring out at the waist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I didn't notice that detail. I do know it's the same. I think it might have been like a flashback from when they had that picture with William. Because I think she was wearing about that same dress. I'm not sure if she was is that dress much anywhere else in her childhood that we've seen mm-hmm. the image is so beautiful it's it's just like 
I think about that a lot because I, I very much live in the past a lot sometimes. Like I go back to the places that I used to be as a kid and I also imagine myself and my friends there. And it's like the past and the present are there together at the same time. So that's the beautiful, like the beauty of the image that she has created here. I love it to pieces. It gives me heavy Anastasia vibes. My inner child is like going off, like heavy nostalgia. I know, right? I love like that. The first thing I thought of when I saw that and the bow, and she has the red hair and the bow and the first, and uh, he kind of looks like um, like a little mini Dimitri too. So I look at that and the first thing that comes to me is, oh, oh God, oh, and we're not going to sing the rest of it because we don't want to get demonetized, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something else that reminded me of, and I could. And it, thank you, you got it. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Like, the silhouette, amazing. everything. It's got that ghost sparkle, and I'm just like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> now I'm really yeah. wanting ballroom scene to come. You know. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Anyhow, so that tiny, we get close up of that. I'm sorry, did anyone else have more? Okay. So, the flashback continues, and Dylan's kind of turned towards Lauren a little more as they are laughing and running, and Lauren watches for a little bit, and then she turns, and I believe she opens a door to a room, and you all and then you see the hallway is completely empty now. And then you see Lauren in her room or in her office. I'm not sure, which is the case. Anyhow, but she's put her hat down on the desk and she's got this pensive look in her face. And then she says out loud, I should ask him. He's always helped me. He's the only one to have given me a clear answer until now. And then she thinks to herself, feels like ages ago when we talked about the kidnapped children on that bridge. And there's a flashback of Kieran on the bridge at that moment when she asked about the children. And she continues, if one person seems to know what's happened to them, it's Kieran. And I said a bit, I know we had a big debate um, at that episode about what it meant if when they're dead. But anyway, I guess if anyone has more thoughts to contribute on that, we. Okay, this makes me really nervous. You know, when I'm trying to, I'm actually like scrolling back to the past chapter. The fortune teller, I think her name was, what was it, Hecate? Hecate. Yeah, so it makes me nervous because she said she's going to have a betrayal that she's not going to expect and she's starting to trust Kieran so much I'm starting I was kind of going between like Kieran Will and Kim but now I'm kind of thinking that it's going to be Kieran and it's going to be extra devastating because Lauren doesn't really let people in very easily and here we're very clearly seeing she's really starting to rely on him and trust him and his opinions and she's just getting really comfortable with him so I feel like it might be Kieran yeah. gonna betray Lauren do you have any any like Combination of how? I think he's got to stick with Bella, you know, like because him and Bella have been together their whole, well, not their whole lives. We don't really know that, but they're so close. And he's going to have to choose between the Phantom Scythe and 
being like a civilian kind of and like going into that cop light and I feel like in the end he's almost gonna choose the phantom scythe and he's gonna end up dying or something I don't know <laughs> my terrible yes, thought I really hope this is not correct <laughs> I actually don't necessarily think that I mean the only way that I can I can totally see that um the only thing that I can't the the parts where I can't really see that happening um so here's where I can see that happening Lauren has shown in the past that she feels very betrayed um, by things that, you know, she already kind of has a sense of betrayal, um, with regards to certain things that Karen does that, you know, it's part of his job. Like, yeah, he murdered all those people in the tower. And yes, that can be shocking. And yes, you can hold him accountable. But at the same time, it's not really a betrayal. It's, it was already very clear in the first place that he's not going to be able to stop doing his job just because all of a sudden that you guys are investigating together there has to be some maintenance of cover. So she's felt very betrayed by that kind of thing in the past. Um, you know, we have seen her feel betrayal from someone as semi-insignificant as, uh, I don't want to say insignificant, because in the course of the story, it ends up being significant. But Harvey wasn't exactly a staple in her life. She still feels a sense of betrayal, though, because he is a part of the police force, and she takes those kind of oaths and things very seriously. So because she's such a serious person, it's actually not 100% hard to very really betray her, or at least what we've seen so far, it seems, um, throughout the story, that part of her character seems pretty consistent. Um, I, I don't have a feeling that Kieran will necessarily go back to the Phantom side and just like flip around and be true villain, only because that kind of totally flies in the face of the really hard-fought um arc like it hasn't it hasn't been like an overnight arc for him in terms of this redemption arc that he's ultimately going through um because really the evolution of Kieran is the evolution of his soul and how he is living more and more with what he as he believes and less and less as a cover to survive um which is where bella's which is also what makes you know character development and arcs like bella's so interesting um because she's kind of not a foil to kieran but uh definitely you know whereas kieran is starting to embrace you can almost see bella kind of still resisting uh still in survival mode we're starting to see that crack in recent episodes but very much you know she'll still you know kind of put on the front and put on the actions like you know she doesn't care as much about that but anyway so it will be interesting to see uh that that's really interesting that um you think that karen's gonna betray her in that way and I that don't would think be a total shock at the end if he did <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like i don't think he would do it in like a malicious way i think it would almost be like a like a betrayal like he was like trying to protect her or something like that. Like, I don't think he'd be like, oh, yeah, like, I just, I don't, 
I just don't want to like help you. I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words. Like exactly. I like I don't think it would be like a yeah. Like it would almost be like I did it to protect you, but in her mind, it would still almost like be a betrayal, just yeah. because like you said, she's so serious, and it would just still hurt her so much. Like <laughs> you know, like God know. bless her. I love her. She's really easy to offend, though. <laughs> it's so true I could see you taking like the last piece of banana bread and like Lauren is like you have betrayed me like she would feel so betrayed unless it was Kim then she would laugh that's why she needs Kim so much it's so true (laughs) (laughs) you know I never eat breakfast and you took the last piece like betrayal Now, now I need a breakfast scene. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that like derailed so far. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's been a while since we talked about watermelons. We were bound to talk about food with some <laughs> We don't see it anywhere else, really. How else are we going to get it? <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> truly. Anywho, so we see a speech bubble that's leading towards Ghost, towards Ghost Dylan, and Ghost Dylan asks her, then why are you so scared to ask? And we see this beautiful close-up on Lauren's eye as she is looking at Ghost Killin- uh, Dylan as it goes through Dawn, I guess... It's never occurred to her that she that she is hesitating on asking Kieran one of the most burning, like the question that has been burning in her since she heard his side of the heard about the kidnapped children from his side. Yeah, because we kept on saying, oh, you know, Kieran doesn't know yet that Lauren had anything to do with Dylan and right the fact that like maybe his protectee of Dylan, they never just mentioned Dylan to either, you know, to each other. So they have like this miscommunication thing. So now we see that Lauren is like conscious that she has never talked about Dylan to Kieran. So it's just further proof of that. And I think further proof that it's going to be a big deal when she does. That's my opinion. I think it will be some kind of revelation. Like, I think Dylan is someone who is important to Karen, just based on this scene alone. It's yeah. kind of been like, sorry, no, go ahead. Uh, you can go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's kind of been laid out since, like, even the beginning of the series that most likely they knew each other, unless, you know, he happens to also be the son of a florist and knows a lot about flowers, too. You know, so uh, the the coincidences are very striking if it's not an actual connection so yeah I I definitely think there's still something there yeah one thing I've sort of noticed like throughout all their interactions is Lauren and Kieran as much as they've been opening up pretty much the one thing that they don't really talk about is the major stuff in their past, like obviously the protectee is like the turning point in Kieran's past, and for Lauren it was the ATST and her friend like dying, and she later finds out disappeared during that event. But that's something neither of them really knows about. 
And like, it's don't, some of it is starting to come to a head because we already know Kieran's already seen her daughter ha- having PTSD meltdowns at the thought of explosions and that. He, he thinks it's from the, the Trinex. Sorry, he thinks it's from um, the factory explosion. He didn't know, he doesn't know that she was at the train explosion. Yeah. It's like, he's seen something coming up in her, but yeah, like you pointed out, Mindy, he doesn't fully know. He, the closest thing he knows of, and it's going to come to light later in this chapter, is the explosion in the factory. But I think even then, when it was starting up, she says something like, I can't watch everyone die in an explosion again. And that kind of catches his attention, but they don't get to dwell on that because of all that chaos. But I wonder if that's going, if we see Kieran's point of view at some point, if that's going to come up on his memory bank of, oh, she has mentioned this before that, and he's starting to connect some of the thoughts. Yeah, I I think that moment when he does, it'll be like a major plot point. Is it's just building up to that crescendo. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see where Kieran was when the whole um, train explosion was, like where he was, how old he was, because I don't think we know how old Kieran is at all. Like, was he one of those missing children? Because I also think he kind of suspects Lauren was there because she has briefly, like we saw in that flashback, kind of like ask about what happened to the children too. Or no, what, what did she say? Did she say like, did the Phantom Sight take any children in or something like that? It was. I think, he, I think he's 24 and Lauren's 22, 21. I mean, I'm a little tired now, so I don't remember the day. I think he's 24 and they're and something like that. So they're in their mid 20s. They're in their mid 20s. Yeah, I think he was 14 at the time. Of, she was 12 at the time of the train attack, and he was, I think he was 14. Okay. Hmm. Wow, it's weird. I always picture them being in like their 30s and I'm like, oh, I'm like older than these people. <laughs> like... <laughs> we actually talked about that the one episode about how, um, you know, sometimes it feels like they would be aged up in real life on this side of the world, you know, but this is yeah, that <laughs> Like for sure, and- they definitely seem so much older than they are. They're so mature. <laughs> like, Truly, even Ken. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think a lot of it has to, and again, I think a lot of that has to do with the, like, I think as Veronica mentioned, the soft world building where everyone has been through so much trauma just by the property of growing up in this society that's where they're being terrorized by the fan of Scythe and they're oppressed by the rich elitist and like everything's kind of crushed is kind of pressing in on them and it's kind of made everyone grow up a whole lot quicker than if they would be in any of our situations currently yeah no that's definitely true too that's a very good point yep yeah and i love to i love learning that she's scared to ask i think she's scared to ask because if she does, she'll, she might get confirmation for once and for all that Dylan is really dead. And I don't think she's ready to hear that. Yeah, no, definitely. Ah, it's like the unknown, you know, at least there's hope. But if she can get a confirmation, then there's no hope. 
It'll be interesting to see what she does from there, too. Does that mean that she gives up? Does that mean that she turns vengeful and kind of has a flipped arc uh, with Kieran? Whereas Kieran's more and more, you know, being uh, more, how you say, socially conscious, I guess, uh, conscious of his impact and trying to lessen his negative impact. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Lauren all of a sudden, heaven forbid, she finds out that information and decides, you know what, nothing left to worry about. I'm just going to be reckless and, you know, seeing, seeing what her actions will be at that point. Or if she'll do the complete opposite, if she'll stay focused and, um, or if Dylan's still somehow alive. What if Dylan's the leader, guys? He can't be, though, because he's too young. I don't know. But, I mean, like, there's apostles that have taken other apostles' places. Well, we just had a scene recently where the leaders had a flashback. He was like, oh, you know, I won't let this, you know, what happened in Snapdragon happen here, right? So he clearly experienced the Snapdragon, and Dylan was a kid, so I'm pretty sure he was an adult, you know, at that time. So... Uh, I know. I know. I still don't know. Know. <laughs> I, I don't see any way in which it can be Dylan. That's fair. I hope that Lauren does get some closure because I feel like she needs to like complete her grieving process. Like she's been in like a, a 10 year grieving process that she has not completed at this point. And I really like this is terrible. I almost hope that Dylan's just like dead. So she doesn't go, like, crazy trying to, like, find him, and, like, he's different, and then she does, like, a whole new set of grieving that we're not just, like, not ready for, you know? Like, you know, it's terrible. It's one of those things, too, where, uh, going back to what we were talking about, about trauma and, you know, Kieran putting the pieces together and whatnot, you know, it's interesting to see, to think about that, you know, yes, she's been seeing it as grieving Dylan, but how much of this is also just grieving her entire life? Like up until that she's fixated on Dylan as being the object of her grief. But even before then, you know, she lost both of her parents um, shortly before, you know, she was there for an extremely traumatic event, um, you know, which she shoulders. Uh, we already seen that she holds herself partially responsible for not being able to prevent it. Um, you know, so that grief partly, you know, how much of that is truly her grief of Dylan and how much of that is unreconciled, uh, grief of other things, grief of a lost childhood, you know, you can, you can grieve, you know, your own personal loss of this or that or the other thing. It doesn't have to be strictly people or animals or other living beings. You can grieve a life lost. Um, you can, you can grieve, um, a lot of things and Dylan might be the focus, but it'll be interesting to see that if that is pun not intended laid to rest, um, the matter of Dylan, then what's left, does she still have her feelings? Um, is she still going through the process of grief? Will she be able to dissect you know, her grief for this person versus her unreconciled and unacknowledged, like we were talking about with the last episode, you know, what else is there that's not being acknowledged besides her grief for Dylan? Yeah, I'm so looking forward to that. 
that's what I think this comic does really well, like processing emotions and showing how characters deal with really, really difficult events. It's very complex. Yeah. I am here for the drama. Anyway, <laughs> for drama. We the trauma and the drama. <laughs> a dramatic but happy scene coming up. It's so exciting. We see the IV, we're in the hospital, and we see Lucas, who is still in his coma, and Lila is talking to the nurse, they're talking to each other. But then we see Lucas's head and it twitches and it's he's awake. And Lila looks over. Somehow she's miraculously attuned to his little hand twitch. And we hear him, he goes, no, he's groaning. Lila runs at him. We, I'm pretty sure she's saying Lucas, but it's very blurry. And she's like, oh my God, you're awake. And she's screaming, his, her face is coming into focus. It's beautiful. It's like this beautiful, happy, smiling face. And he goes, Lila. And she's like, Lucas, oh my God, you're awake. And, <laughs> and he says, thank you, Lila. Thank you. Oh my God, I can't believe it. His <laughs> first night's words, guys. Oh my God. <laughs> brain surgery did he have a lobotomy like is this the same? <laughs> all it took was like a massive concussion you know yeah so many broken bones that's all so. <laughs> she like throws herself on him and he's like oh <laughs> great thing to do, you know when someone's just waking up from a months-long coma and he lifts his hand up and he hugs her back <laughs> all right Mm-hmm. Oh, I literally, my heart melted when I read this yesterday. I literally felt the goo you know, inside me. It was so nice. I have to say, by the way, and the nurse is like, has this really cute face. I don't know if Lucas was semi-awake, you know, um, during his coma. I think some people can do, right, are perceiving other people around them during their coma. Because I'm wondering, like, what is he saying thank you for? Is he saying, I feel like if he's saying thank you, he somehow realized that Lila was so attentive to him throughout his coma like that what do you guys think so some people um depending on depending on like the type of coma um that's going on because there are different types as well and don't ask me I don't know all of them um but there are certain types of coma hearing is the last sense to go um when you're in that state um so a lot of times uh, there are some some people who have been in a coma that can basically tell you everything that they heard and they heard a lot. And um, that's one of the reasons that um, I know for some patients, you know, they still play their favorite music, you know, they still encourage you to have conversation. Um, I have a friend who, she had uh, a relative who also was in a coma again, hearing was the last thing to go and, you know, they needed something done. So, um, she came in, talked to that relative, um, and sure enough, then they were able to do the procedure they needed to, that they weren't able to before because she responded. Um, obviously not with words and certainly not with a whole lot else, but, you know, she could hear that and then understand. Um, so that's not, that's not, that part wasn't surprising. What is surprising, though, is that he was able to lift his arm. Because if you were in a coma for a month, you have, like, really intense muscular atrophy at that point. I don't know if you'd have the strength. Like, the wiggling of the finger is, like, a massive plus in and of itself. To raise your arm, like, did they inject adrenaline? What happened? 
<laughs> powerful will overcoming the power of love limitations <laughs> the power of love the power of lila de Rosas. <laughs> yes um, i remember reading in the comments too that uh the nurse was probably fm eris i love how she spared our tears <laughs> <laughs> just, like, oh, just like you get a pass for today okay? <laughs> I, I i wonder do you think that their relationship developed behind like off camera you know because we saw them um go off together after you know the bar scene and maybe that's why they're so connected to each other yeah i think so it's like they are very much side characters so much like they're basically just the side characters who get screen time when we need (laughs) comedy at times but um i do think there probably was a little undercurrent of something because because kim like in a drunk kim scene she kind of hinted a little towards that oh she's been looking at you this whole time because it's we love or like kind of trolling him on that thing and i think there was even earlier i think those two were discussing were sort of discussing the upcoming new year's party and she says are you gonna be there and <laughs> i forget what response he gives but she has like a confused like she's trying to figure out why she reacted like and I think it was something like something that kind of sounds halfway threatening but she doesn't it's like she but she does have this confused heart bump and she's like okay what is going on why am I what is this feeling that I've suddenly got from his response yeah yeah, they're definitely like the side characters that in the end it's just gonna be like, oh, by the way, we're engaged. <laughs> and none of the yeah. not happening. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess the relationship is developing off screen. <laughs> I like relationships like that, though. Again, I feel like it contributes to the world building. Like, there's life outside of the story. You know, it helps you to imagine. It just makes it makes every aspect of the story a little bit fuller to know that this does exist in a world with other people, you know, yeah. people like Lady Lady Artingham and our beloved butler, which I missed, by the way. I need to come back, okay? Uh, we can bet your bottom dollar there at that opera. Just yes, <laughs> yes. I'm so sad we didn't see them in this one. I was like looking everywhere. I'm like, where are they? What hat is she wearing today? Oh my goodness, <laughs> they better be dancing at the ball and I better see two bird cages. <laughs> <laughs> or a bigger bird whichever coco 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 in a bird cage yeah <laughs> animal abuse that is some combination i mean it's, it's cool but i can see the appeal <laughs> I Wait, but do you, do you think Coco could sit on her head all night? I don't think it would be, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it would be strictly on her head at that point. I feel like there would be, like, a whole, like, contraption. Like, like there would a be a pack. The pack, yeah. The Coco. I have, um... Gaga-esque, you know. 
Marie Antoinette on like cyber steroids kind of thing yeah. going on. She's in, the, she's in the center of a cage and it's a cage all around her. I love it. Oh my gosh. It's art piece now. Yeah. First, the cage is on top of her. Now she is <laughs> the cage. <laughs> she was pushing her along like. <laughs> but if oh Coco gosh. does make the appearance on Lady Valentine's head at the ball, He's got to be released at some very, at some specific moment, like when they're about to make this major discovery or someone's going to say something huge. Where they're about to Justice for Coco. I'm with you all the way, Joy. Justice for Coco. (laughs) Oh, okay. I think, I think that that was good. A lot of people love Coco. A little segue now. (laughs) In honor of side characters. (laughs) now we get to a character who has uh you know used coco as a weapon we have lauren and kieran in the um in the archives of the apd and kieran says so you're going to the theater without me later thanks for the invite (laughs) right he's poking at her and she's like i'm going to be working there he's like yeah right i know you prefer to go on a date with kim rather than inviting your boyfriend (laughs) so i know that people say like people probably think oh my gosh there's no like red part for boyfriend he really is her boyfriend which is like okay it's sarcasm but whatever we can give that a point (laughs) i think from his perspective he definitely feels that way so i think that's pretty much all we're seeing but i wouldn't i wouldn't take that to mean as they're officially together now i think it's very obvious they're still kind of where they were Mm-hmm. I yeah. love it. He's poking fun at her. He's just like, you thought I was cute and you don't know it yet. Ten-year-old oh. who thought I was cute. Yeah, you're going to get that in a little bit later. But yeah, he's like, that's okay. I'm not sad. And she's just, you know, swatting him. He's like, ha ha ha. Which just shows the relationship is getting to be so close and so comfortable. And they're just joking around and they're so cute. It's nice to see them be friends and not just frenemies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's adorable. And he's, you know, he has this little smile on his face as he walks away. And she also does. And they both just like have this sweet, tender grin. Hmm. I love the expressions. Like there's so much captured there. <clears throat> and she thinks back to last night, which the part that she remembers, which is like her looking confused at herself. And he's like, Lauren, are you okay? Gives her the handkerchief. She says, thank you. And she you know, it's just really thinking about like how close they've become and how how he's kind to her. So now she asks. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, <laughs> no, it's all good. Go ahead. So Go's she up. says. So, what will you be doing? Um, and he says, since our searches haven't been very fruitful last night, I'll go back to the surface and try to follow up at L again. If that doesn't work, maybe descend into the underworld again. Look for anything or anyone mentioning the nitro hideouts. He's putting some stuff away in the archives. And she says, I've kept my uncle and Doc updated on what we're doing. He's told me the Secret Services have sent spies into the Phantom Scythe to look for potential hideout locations. He's like, I wish them the best of luck. (laughs) They usually don't (laughs) last long on the job. Which, you know, we've heard recently just from the king and queen. And she's like, I can come with you to the underworld and help you. He says, No. (laughs) <laughs> good old protective Kieran it's like the trope the guy was like protecting the girl from herself and putting herself in danger like no we're not doing it 
I think it's a good thing to see in this scene, especially. It's moments like these that kind of do remind you that eh, there is actually some element of danger. This isn't all just, you know, adventure and we're going to come out plucky on on top. This is no legit. You'll probably get killed and <laughs> completely ruin everything we built. Um, I love you, but stay here. Don't screw this up. Um, and, you know, I think I think those moments, I think moments like these, which I'm kind of glad it's there, also remind us of just the real serious danger that Kieran, that Kieran is putting himself in and um, just how precise and calculated he has to be all the time. And that kind of makes, you know, certain decisions that really adds to your sense of, as a reader, you know, just the amount of risk that he's going through and just the appreciation for the fact that he's been able to cover any of his tracks so far. <laughs> Um, you know, I, uh, I do love that, um, I do love kind of the back and forth, and it's also funny to see, like, all of a sudden she's the one slacking off, and he's the one, like, kind of actually working in this scene. <laughs> good point. Right? We know he actually did some good organization of the archives, and he was, like, genuinely frustrated that they were a mess. <laughs> it's gonna be that couple where it's, like, he waltzes in and gets employee of the month, and she's like, I've been working here for how many years? <laughs> oh and his apartment being so neat oh my gosh I uh you know you know how some ladies what's the expression like your panties drop for like whatever I don't know whatever their physical characteristics when I and if I you know knowing that Kieran is neat that is a very big turn off <laughs> oh, <guys. laughs> um so she, she's like why and he says it's too dangerous like I told you before I'm not talking about great chapels abandoned building here but the real underworld our Hollis's catacombs our underground lair only trusted phantoms have access there you'd be suspicious even if we disguise you and you make it past the entrance and okay and he's like I still can't wrap my head around the existence of that place it's like no one's aware of it even the police and he says well it's real the secret services must have known about it for a year or two I believe they keep it a secret until they know how to deal with it they managed to send a few other spies, their hounds, but we've been pretty good at unmasking them. And he's taking out a map or a scroll paper. The monarchs have never been able to do anything about it and are scared to attack us there. And she says, but why? And he's like, do you really think the Phantom Scythe would gather somewhere and leave the door open? We invaded the ruins under the city a couple of years ago and since then built many defense mechanisms. And he's unrolling a map of our hollis on a table. If the army did try to bad purge into the underworld, They'd have the roof full over their heads before they could get to any of the apostles or the leader. How big is it even? And he shows her on the map. The headquarters are roughly the size of your neighborhood. Within, that's, that's a giant, giant headquarters. <laughs> the size of a whole neighborhood for like, how many people are in the Phantom site that they need that massive of a headquarters? Or how small is the neighborhood? It can be that small. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but with a network of sewers, catacombs, and some tunnels we added over the years, the underworld's got spots scattered all over the city. The Grim Goblin being one of them. A lot of them are on the south shore, the north, and we have we see like Grim Goblin is, uh, which kind of in the two, I guess. And um, on the north shore, it's mostly isolated safe spaces and secret passages will allow us to move without being seen. Which you know, this just all confirms everything we've been speculating about. Um, the leader and the apostles must have had their own hideaway because they've never even been seen in the headquarters. Interesting. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think this is all going to be very big at some point in the future. What do you guys think of all this? I feel like this is a gigantic hint, hint, nudge, nudge that they're giving us with a baseball bat over the head. <laughs> right, Mindy? Um, if nothing comes of it, I'll be very surprised. This is this is about like the hints are about as thick as all the glass factory hints that we got, um, and that turned into an explosion. So, <laughs> um, you know what's funny though about the catacombs revelation is I read some of the comments and uh, it's so funny to see how like different different communities like architecture community and you know. Uh, different other, um, you know, municipal structural construction work all seem to also kind of have this revelation of like, this is like an impossible city. How do you have catacombs when you're on the water? You would have been flooded like a thousand times by now. Um, and that's just all, that's uh, just an amusing thought to think about. Um, but it also uh, lends a lot of credence and credibility to the potential theory that there might be some sort of plot of making them all flood and we might see that happen whether it's by accident or on purpose because it's really hard it's like that's it's a pretty impossible city when you think about it who built this and when did they and what happened to give them all that water <laughs> based on the structural integrity that they have um, I I'm not going to devote a second to thinking about it because I'm like 100% sure that this is the author's having a bit of poetic license. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't think it has to make sense. Uh, no. Just, go ahead. No, I just think it's, uh, it, it would be very cool to see them go with that plot. I mean, it would be terrible, um, but also it would be pretty cool to make that like a thing that that was someone's idea. Let's flood the catacombs. <laughs> Because um, that's something you don't really see in a whole lot of fiction at all. The idea of a big major event. We've had fire. There's always an explosion. But in terms of like a huge climactic action set piece um, for like any story, whether it's, you know, a comic or, uh, or a movie or something like that, hardly ever is the big main event a flood. So part of me is kind of like excited at the possibility of seeing that be um something that's featured because it's very unique it's very rare yeah. yeah so she now asks him aren't those spots the most obvious place to look for explosives which is probably what everyone's thinking and he's like not in the headquarters story naturally there would be too dangerous he rolls up the map and i've obviously already looked into some of the other locations in the underworld but found nothing and she sighs and she says well good luck with that Mind you, I'm just as good as for, as you for infiltration missions. I could. He's like, nope. I'd rather not have curiosity kill the cat. Besides, last time we went on a mission together, you literally ended up cartwheeling your way away from our target. <laughs> so cute. Look at that smile. He's teasing her. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I think he's also, like, subtly diverting her attention away from the idea of exploring the underground catacombs with him because he's like he knows it's dangerous he knows she's probably gonna do it now that she has the idea mm -hmm. but he's trying to dissuade that as much as possible and he also gets to put in a little jab as well <laughs> that's a good point 
you know, you're right. I think Kieran is like so smart and so emotionally aware that this is like, yeah, a very clever tactic. I think that's a good point. Yeah. She's like, I did a what? And he says, oh, it was adorable to witness a 10 year old you get a crush on me. Oh my God. So first of all, not a lie. It's true. Second of all, he's pushing the envelope. He is like subtly hinting at these little romantic gestures between them like he always teases oh my love my dear and like you know oh you find me sexy and stuff like that and now he's just like he's being so open which just confirms my theory that I think he he kind of knows he's attracted to her Lauren I don't think does but I think he does know that he's into her a little bit yeah I kind of think so too I think if they would have any sort of like feelings revelation kind of thing it would be cute first or it would I don't think it would really be so much a revelation so much as a scene of him thinking through like similar to Lauren except he he pretty much already would know why he's he's or at least getting more of an idea of why he does the things he does regarding her and maybe later he might be the one to start to realize Maybe why he grows when they first met and he could have killed her that time. I don't know. Yeah. It could be just like that like initial attraction and now he finds her personality attractive too. Like they have such like a strong chemistry and they drive so well together. Like his flirting is just so effortless and I love how it kind of like catches her off guard and like opens her up even more she doesn't even know what to do with it like I feel like with most people she's like Ugh. like in one of like the beginning scenes that guy when she's on like a blind date with him she's like whatever like yeah my eyes are great I know <laughs> and like with Karen she can't even help it she just like falls right into it right yeah exactly she's like there's no way I did and she starts like, hitting him which uh, my husband always laughs because I'm always hitting him. And he's like, if I would do that to you, I would be called abusive and you could just hit me whenever you want. (laughs) And yeah, and he grabs her arm and he's like, come on, just admit that it's hard to resist my charms. Mm." And then he pulls her in. Is that detective? Wraps her in a full body hug. Mm -mm -mm. That man has some gumption. (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely one of those things that you that I'm probably gonna screenshot at some point and just put it on my at the wallpaper the on my device. The first thing I see when I open it, <laughs> one of the things I don't know. I'm getting so much lucky stuff that it's gonna be hard to choose. <laughs> it is delightful. I love it. He is being you know forceful once again. And just teasing her, pushing her buttons, and it's just great. <laughs> and totally, I don't know if grabbing a feel is the right way to say it, but initiating close physical contact. <laughs> Relax. Yeah. They're a lot more at ease with each other. And uh, I love their playful vampire before, but it's just nice to see it when it's honest, you know? They're not, there's no airs about them. They're not being you know, cheeky to test each other and suss each other out. Now it's, you know, the walls are down. And so they can actually have, you know, this 
beginnings of uh, a truer friendship, which I personally think he knows that he's head over heels for her. I think he knew that he was being honest when he's like, crazy for you. Um, I think he was always transparent. I think this is one of those like classic, I I like to think of it as uh, one of those classic, like he always knew he's just waiting for her to figure it out. (laughs) And it's so cute. Yeah. And she pushes him away while he has this really cute smile on his face. Like he's totally just enjoying all of this as a great big fun joke. And she's like, Oh, I have to scroll. Where is she? She's like, Oh, just shut the F up. And he's like, You're blushing, which is totally not true. And he's saying, I am not. (laughs) Just so cute. And now he turns serious and he says, Seriously, though, are you sure that you're fine? Yesterday, that Morpheus guy made you revert back to a younger self, but you didn't look like you were crying because of something silly. And Lauren says, I have no idea why I was crying. Oh, I wish you would open up more. Like, she doesn't know exactly why, but I wish you would say, elaborate more. You know, it reminded me of that day. No, but no. And here it even gives her an opening and she just still doesn't take it. He says, the factory explosion is still very recent. Maybe, right? He's trying to get her to talk more, but she does not. She's like, no, I'm fine. I swear, really. I don't know what was going through my head during hypnosis, but I'm okay. And he looks at her silently for a moment. And then just decides not to push it because she clearly isn't ready. So much for her asking him. <laughs> she may genuinely not uh, remember either. Um, I know we talked about hypnosis on a previous episode about um, some of the some of the uh, actual experiences um, that uh, I know myself and some other people have on this side. But I think for the context of the story. Um, the implications seem to be at certain parts that this is kind of your classic trope of hypnosis that you're not 100% going to remember everything that happens once you come out of it. Um, but in this uh, effect, in this case, instead of being employed for comedy, which you often more often see in stories, um, it's being employed more for, interestingly enough, revelation of information for in this case, Kieran, another character, um, and for the audience, um, and also gives uh, potentially Lauren something else to work through. So I I think it might be intentional that um, maybe there's some sort of illusion she might genuinely not remember in this comic. It'll be interesting to see if they clarify that 100% in the following episodes, I kind of hope that they do. Because if, like you say, she's, um, you know, she does remember and she's just not letting on, what was her takeaway from that, you know? Right. Like, what was her takeaway? But the truth is, is like, well, the last, the way this, this part ends is like, he's like, oh, all right, I'm glad you are. And then she starts saying something. She starts saying, I... But then she's totally interrupted. So she, she might have been wanting to ask him <laughs> at this point, but we'll never know. <laughs> or we won't know for a while, at least. <laughs> we'll find out eventually. Yeah. Oh, that's her too. Like, thank you. She throws open the door and she goes, ah, there you are. I've been looking for you everywhere. And that face tells me 
she had been listening for a while now you know (laughs) that's what I got from it like I don't know she doesn't look surprised like oh like I finally found you she's like oh like did I interrupt something like I don't don't read that but that's a cute theory (laughs) except that I've been looking for you everywhere wasn't a lie but then again it's maybe it's like maybe she was looking and then she thought to look in the archive room and heard some of that conversation at least some of so you know her having been looking everywhere doesn't preclude her also having been standing in front of the door (laughs) (laughs) and then she angry whispers she's like are you crazy Herman won't pay you if he sees you here she closes the door and she goes I know you guys are horny but get another room (laughs) (laughs) okay so she thought this was horny is like oh my goodness she may have heard but I'm not certain if she saw what happened like a minute earlier like she was she's definitely would have thought some if she actually saw them hugging earlier when he was teasing her about her crush <laughs> maybe she did see it we don't know <laughs> um and then we see Karen and he's just like blank face looking at her and then we see Lauren who looks dead to the world <laughs> Lauren is so uncomfortable with sexuality I'm sorry to say but like I don't know, she just can't she's like oh, how dare you say that oh my god me and Karen I'm like dude they're literally supposed to, like she should at least try to act like yeah they're supposed to be boyfriend and girlfriend you know like she should I don't know be embarrassed instead of like shocked like oh Kim how dare you suggest I'm intimate with my boyfriend well, they are at their workplace, you know, it's not exactly looked highly upon to be caring. And technically, technically, their relationship is considered a conflict of interest. Um, they're both working in the police force, you know. I don't know if that's so, our policy. It, it totally makes sense that uh, I don't necessarily interpret it that way. I, I think um, for her, I think also it's just very classic Lauren just doesn't like being blown up on the spot for anything you know <laughs> she's she's a private person you know ultimately speaking yeah yeah and um if I could offer another perspective not everyone is comfortable talking about you know certain private things like in a public setting anyway even if it is going on or even if it's not going on, they it's like not something that they speak speak frankly about. I'm personally one of those people with like my coworkers, they talk about this kind of stuff pretty much all the time and it's like I know they do, but it still semi shocks me every time they do. Because I'm not particularly one of those sit in the sit public and just talk about, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I second Joy's sentiment. I don't think she's blowing her cover by being embarrassed. I think that's very normal for a lot of people. Okay. Definitely. I mean, like, Kim just like skipped it. She could have been like flirting in the workplace. She just like took it to the whole next level, you know? Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> she really did. Like... She threw down the gauntlet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so Lauren looks at Kim who's carrying a box over or maybe she's just standing in front of the box I don't know um, and she said so why are you bothering us while we're being so horny Kim and she yells back 
Camille's like, we have to leave for the theater soon. They're going to brief us soon. So kiss your cute boyfriend goodbye and get your pretty ass to the front door. I'll be waiting for you. Hmm. And then there's flowers and she goes, have a wonderful evening, Karen. <laughs> Yell for her. Flower in. <laughs> she knows what she did. <laughs> and he just looks amused and it says amused. You too, Kim. Have fun. Aww. <laughs> totally developing a soft spot for them. We, you know, we know he's he's been thinking about them and he wants to save their lives, right? And like he's just they've grown to uh, a place in his heart. It's very cute. Um, Lauren says, I'll be there in five minutes, don't worry. And she looks over it, she's just like, whatever, yeah, that's just Kim. And uh, Kim closes the door and they look at each other and it's like the dot, dot, dot. <laughs> There's like kind of like awkward moment there. <laughs> and Lauren says, so and he goes, five minutes, not very long, but doable. Still horny. <laughs> Karen! <laughs> and I love this next panel because it's the same as the last, but it's like almost like the classic like anime like screenshot of like <laughs> like you're speechless, just like the you don't even know what else to say. Like, seriously, seriously. <laughs> oh my yes. god, Karen. Kieran, Kieran, that man. <laughs> what comedian? Then her turn around and walk out, and he's just laughing, and she just says bye. That's it. Runs out. Eyes <laughs> across the room. Yes. Oh, heart So cute. Bye, Kiki. <laughs> Um, and then we segue into the next scene, which is the opera house. Um, and we see a poster of a title called The Ghost of the Cathedral. So I want to pause a second. I have some thoughts on, on the play. Um, and I'd love to hear what you guys think. So if I'm correct, the play was written by Miss Green, right? My my I think because it's it's supposed to be about a ghost in a port in a church, poor neighborhood, abandoned church. I suspect that the play has some messages relating to Art Hollis society. Like it's probably meant to be a direct parallel to Grey Chapel and to pull on the audience's heartstrings and you know bring attention to the the conditions there or something. And I feel like it's going to be related to the plot. Like I feel like there's it's going to be besides for every, all the drama that's actually going to happen during the play. I think the play itself is ph related somehow anyway that's just my my suspicion yeah that's actually pretty good because i think we saw a couple episodes or was it last episode anyhow very recently i think it was basically confirmed that ms green is one of the spies that was working with sandman Mm -hmm. and sandman's group is trying to overturn the phantom sight and so it would make sense for her to, because she's a playwright, she can write a play and basic. And while she's entertaining, she's subtly warning people what's about to come. Mm. Okay, she could also use the play as a mask. Like let's say if the, she'll have the play call for a lot of armed actors on stage. Hmm. <laughs> 
you know, so no one's suspicious. They're like, oh, it's a prop, but it's not. Or use it as a threat. Huh. huh. Very Hamlet style. And maybe it's poking at, maybe it's poking at Redcliffe. I think that's a cool theory, Mindy. That will be really cool to see what the play actually ends up symbolizing. I think I think it must be something because the fact that we have these repeated posters with the actual title, if it wasn't accordion, it would just be a scribble. But, you know, it wouldn't be legible. But the fact that it's a very well-designed poster, we see the figure, we see the words, we've seen it several times. I think that means, and we see it in the in the next panel as well, I think that means that it's important. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's almost going to be, like, used to, like, draw sympathy for the rest of the people who have a problem with the phantom site. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, the image they use, because that actually looks like the same place where Kieran got beat up recently. Right. Like, Ooh, <laughs> that got dark quick. <laughs> yeah, and like also like um, the scene where there was like someone who had gotten killed where like was like hanging up there that Kieran had killed. Like I feel like it's like a place where a lot of really bad negative things happened censoring the Phantom Side. So I feel like they're kind of directing it and they're also just trying to get more people on their side to help. Return. What if the play is a callback to that person? What if it ends up being about that victim? Wow. That, that, no, talk, talk about like a bomb. That would be a bomb in the series. That just, that just adds some layer, man. That's a thick layer. (laughs) Sedimentary rock with fossils thrown in there. Don't come at me, geologists, please. It's like, (laughs) what time at night? I am not in my right mind. So please. (laughs) I think also I'm getting like Phantom of the Opera vibes just because of the title. Oh, yeah. And oh, I, yeah. I look, there's like a chandelier, massive chandelier there, the the whole um, you know, layout of the opera house. I don't know, that's just what I what I get as well. That would be such a soft move. And they love to troll us like that with little things sometimes, you know, to the salon and there have been other times in the past. I, I, I love that they troll us with those little things. I'm with you, Mindy. <laughs> yeah. So we see the outside of the theater and we see people, you know, pulling up and we see the guy who's the ballet. And then we see Lauren and Kim doing security detail, checking people's bags and making sure they don't have any weapons. Um, and I think it's really cool, the design of this, because it really reminds me, um, I saw a play in Boston one time at the theater there. And, like, the layout of it and just, like, the style of it just, like, really reminds me of that. So I think they did, like, a really good job, like, capturing what, like, a classic, like, theater, like, opera house would be. Um, Kim's response is, this place damn sure is fancy. <laughs> like, um, And she says, I hope we get to see some of the play. Aww. I think they will. Pretty sure they will. That'll be a plot point. (laughs) Added some key point there. (laughs) A couple going up the stairs that just, um, oh, I know they're not the same people at check, but we see a couple going up the stairs and then Lauren picks up the pamphlet and she says, the ghost of the cathedral. The story takes place in the abandoned church of a poor uh, neglected neighborhood. Sounds a lot like Great Chapel to me. This is going to be interesting. Definitely important. Yes, definitely. 
And then we see a heel and a shoe. And Laura turns her head and her and Kim are surprised to see Will and Nero walk in looking fine. Mm. All right. Were you, was any of you expecting this? Were any of you expecting this? I was expecting Nero to be there because I think the, like someone was talking, I think it was like last episode that where the queen was like, I'm sending Nero to go do this. Uh, play and and this play was the next big event that everyone was talking about but there were quite a few notable people like I think Radcliffe was gonna be there and so Nero was gonna do some spying for the queen as well there but will be in there just like that was something of a surprise although it's like a surprise not a surprise because you know that he's like nominally dating her so you know, it would be kind of the thing that is, that, like, that's the, even if, and I'm not sure how much he would be aware of her mission, probably not, but she could easily say, hey, for one of our little outings, let's go do this play, and, you know, and that, for her, it would be, she'd be using that as a cover, as she's going on a date with her fiancé. Mm. Oh. Oh, no, that's I, I think like a lot of fans did predict this and until now I was like no no it's not gonna happen I just I didn't want to see it because it hurts me so much because especially Kim is watching and Will is doing a very good job of faking liking Nera and Kim is gonna totally oh my god all the misunderstandings that I would like to happen from this is I would like Will to see Kim, like he already knows Kim's just there because he assigned her, but I would like him to like somehow be aware that she did want to see the play a little bit. And I'm not sure if he might like sneak her and he probably won't, but at some point maybe get another ticket for another night this place, go in and be like, Hey, you wanted to see this so badly, you can here's another ticket for you or something for this other night. Like I can kind of see him doing that. Like, totally not pulling favors for a certain fellow officer. Oh, this scene. I wasn't ready for it. I really wasn't. Unpopular opinion. I am not a fan of love triangles in general. So, I'm, I'm with you, Mindy, on seeing this. It kind of broke my heart again. I was like, oh. I think it was established they're not dating but they're courting and more of kind of like a family arranged marriage kind of situation but they don't like each other which is why I'm just like why why I know why she's there you know she needs a cover um I have to say if I was gonna do a a pan I was thinking about this I kind of like did a mini panel breakdown in my mind when I saw it because at first you know I was totally like, ah, wrong ship. Um, <laughs> but the more I thought about it too, I find actually the illustration itself very interesting. I see that he's trying to illustrate to her that uh, like, oh, you know, well, we're going to try and make the most of it. But she is not into him. Um, just the expression on her face. She's like, I'm, I'm here for business. Um but I find the actually the outfit choices also very interesting. 
Like, don't get me wrong. On any other average day, I would love that suit, but it doesn't look the greatest on him. And it's actually not like his most like dignified. It's not his look, no, you know. Not. And her it looks like he's dressing up. Really nice, but this is the kind of outfits that you wear. Like you're either a married couple or this means nothing. Um, like this is very just like this is not. This is not. I'm trying to impress somebody that I'm about to marry. Kind of gear, and so. I, if that was the intention and the purpose of the illustration, I give so much round of applause to Soph because I got it, you know? Like, this is definitely a date between people that don't want to date each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's right. They're very formal. I feel like they're, they're, they're playing dress up. Like, Will is in these, like, rich people's clothing. Yes. And he's like, this is what my dad wants me to be. Like, high society, you know, boy. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Here's what I'm hoping happens. This is this is my really hoped for theory. Probably won't happen. It'll probably be something completely different that I can't see coming. Um, but I'm honestly hoping that what happens is like Will sees Kim and Kim doesn't react. And then what I'm hoping is because I, I don't I don't want Kim to get jealous. Oh. I feel like that's unfair. Like me as a reader kind of feels like in that scene it would be unfair um you know Will, will's the one who's betraying his own feelings so somebody else shouldn't feel the brunt or consequences of his actions it just doesn't have the same impact for me as a reader what i'm hoping happens though is that she doesn't react and then he's like wait a second why didn't she react i don't like this why don't i like this and then it makes a tailspin for him and that would be hilarious and the other thing that uh, the other the next train I jumped on in my mind was it would be so funny if eventually we do kind of get this plot of, um, you know, our wonderful Will and Kim couple. And they're like all of a sudden like, oh, my gosh, like we like each other. And then they would <laughs> they would turn to the fake couple of Loki right now, office place Loki and uh ask them for dating advice and then they can't give any dating advice though because they're not actually dating but they have to pretend to give advice because then their cover is low <laughs> that's funny what about you guys ocean and joy what 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 scenarios do you think are going to happen out of this i'm kind of like with what joy said before i almost feel like it's just kind of like a show and will later on is going to come back around to kim and be like yeah, like we should go out later or something like that. Or do you want to grab dinner after this? You know, just kind of like confirm his feelings without actually having to like say, I like you. Just like make it clear that he'd rather be with Kim. Mm. Um, you know, I feel like something like that is going to happen. <laughs> or I think next one, um, the next episode, it's called like Double Date and it's going to be like Double Date Point Two. And like yeah. Lauren and Kim are going to like sneak in and like. <laughs> ruin their date I think that that would be hilarious <laughs> oh oh interesting I feel like Lauren is they're both on duty I feel like they wouldn't do that because just because they're on duty but that would be so much fun <laughs> very yeah, I, would, I would imagine there would probably be a small moment where Kim's like okay so he puts us on security duty so that we can't watch the play but then he goes and watches the same play we're at the same play and it's like sounds like something she'd more say say something as an aside to Lauren, but you know. <laughs> so funny. I just remembered, by the way, speaking of crashing the date when 
I was in um like college slash seminary. My one of our friends went on a date with this guy, and it was like our second date. It was like a blind date kind of thing. And she told us where she was going to be, which was a big mistake <laughs> because we showed up and we um, just walked into the restaurant and we like walked to the table and we're like, hey, we pretended we didn't know them. We're like, hey, we want to come here like later. And like, what do you guys recommend? What's good to eat? <laughs> and she just like was speechless. She could not, she just threw her mouth open. She couldn't talk. And then, so the guy was like, yeah, we had this and that. And it was really good. And the service was great. And we're like, oh, thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> I always walked out. That was fun. Oh, did not end up with the guy. <laughs> we yes, it was so it was a blast. And then we were like spying on them because it was like windows, and we were just like behind the pillar <laughs> looking in. <laughs> what you're saying is for Kim, like on Lauren's first date or <laughs> <Her laughs> update. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm wondering if Kim will. If this will be a catalyst for Kim to realize that she likes will kind of like maybe the, like what you were saying what what happened for will that's my thought for what might happen for kim but yeah i, I don't know i think either way it'll be drama and i'm excited <laughs> i want will to i want will to finally stand up to his dad oh my gosh he has to stop going along with what he wants for him it's true i feel like i don't know i said they looked fine it was mostly nira like will looks ridiculous <laughs> if someone wore that suit like on a date with me I'd be like surely sir you are getting changed because this is not it (laughs) like we are not going out with you wearing all plaid with like a coat over it like he's just not that into you um I don't know I mean I think it's probably appropriate for the time period the nebulous or time period that our Hollis is based on but it's very it's very overdressed yes (laughs) I mean this is the opera I love you see yeah, I love oh, this too. Everyone else is dressed too. Color. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a handsome gentleman, but I, I am also not such a fan of the outfit in terms of just pure aesthetic. I think it's very formal and dressed up, and like he does look very dapper. But I like his, you know, I like him in his patrol uniform better. <laughs> Honestly, that suit would look better on Nara. I'm just saying. True. And she was wearing it great. Her hair. But wasn't Kieran, wasn't Kieran wearing a similar suit um, in one of the earlier chapters? Like, I thought he was wearing something of a flat suit at one point. And the new one was also saying, oh, that's, a, that's so fine looking. But now it's Will, and he's like, oh, it don't suit him at all. No pun intended. It's <laughs> straight green suit. See, it looked better on Kieran because he was going with, like, his color palette. Um the cut looks you know it he went for the look and it it didn't um but he didn't try to like compete with himself in that way you know it was it was kind of the relaxed um cut but it was consistent throughout and we get to will and it's like it's a really loose suit and (laughs) here we are breaking down the fashion elements um yeah (laughs) I think it just doesn't seem like Will. Like, Kieran has always been fashionable, and we've seen him be fashionable, and it, it suited him. This is like Will playing, like I said before, playing dress up to suit his dad. He isn't, it doesn't seem like it really reflects his personality or his sense of style at all. You know, it's just like he's forced to wear this to play a role. I wonder if his dad went shopping for him. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I came again. So. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, anyone else have any other thoughts on this episode? I almost kind of hope like Phantom of the Opera style, like there's some shenaniganery backstage that um, Kim is or is not involved in. Um, that like, I don't know, like the curtain closes early or something, something wild and crazy. I kind of want that to happen. I don't know how, but that would be cute to see. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> I'm excited. I'm just excited. There will be lots of drama. We're, you know, between Mira and Will and Kim and Sandman and Miss Green. It's just going to be a lot. And Redcliffe, this is going to be a lot. And the lamp lady and her butler. <laughs> right. We all, you know, just have to be there. The return of Coco. <laughs> it's going to be really cool to see Redcliffe, though. And what's going to be even more interesting, I feel like, is just to see all these different characters interacting with him. And also seeing Bella in public. I feel like we always, except for that one scene where she was Hestia, she's always, you know, hidden from the general public. So it'll be interesting to see her that close to everybody working security detail. Yes, right. I forgot, I even forgot about Bella. I knew there were people I was leaving out. That's <laughs> how many characters are going to be in this next scene. We're having yeah. trouble keeping track. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's going to be great fun. <laughs> I kind of wish I could just read it all at once because that would be so satisfying. Like 10 episodes in a row. But oh well. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's the end of that. Thank you so much. This was very nice. Thank you so, so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, ditto. Yep, awesome. I can't wait for next week. Yes. All right, see you. Good night. Thank you to my current patrons, Susie, Lady Libris, Lily, Jenny, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Joe, Rochelle, Saucy Tacos, Anne Rose, Alexa, Jessica, Joanne, Melda, Esther, and Martini People, Emily, Jane, Jen, Erin, Kay, Lily, Beth. Beckett, Staranda, Christine, Sadie, Kelly, Teresa, Mrs. Castaldo, Jen, Tatiana, Louisa, and Rachel. Your support is truly appreciated.